Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Proverbs 31. Today is Mother's Day, in which we honor moms and mother figures and maternal bonds and all that jazz. Every Mother's Day, I'm reminded of two ladies in particular and would seek to honor them in some way, even if just by honorable mention. The first is my wife, Sarah, who, uh, more than being the best mother our kids could ever have, and more than being the best wife I could have ever hoped for, it's her character that I want to call attention to and honor today. Sarah loves Jesus. She loves him so much. And it's out of that love for Christ that everything else flows. It's not about her specific deeds as a mom or the specific things she does and doesn't do that makes our marriage what it is or our home what it is. That's important. But the thing that's worth honoring is the principles and godly character that are used by Christ to remind me and to remind our children of Christ, to help and guide me each and every day. There's no way I appreciated this earlier in our marriage as much as I do now. Not, no way. Just no way. Not even close. I, I'm a, a very, very blessed man. Uh, Sarah and I literally met on this very day in church 17 years ago today. Mother's Day fell on May 13th, 2001. So I love you very, very much. The other lady, the other lady is my own mother, whom I rarely see anymore on Mother's Day. God saved my single mother in the mid-80s and radically changed mom's life. Um, who then in turn lived the gospel in front of me and my sister. And in God's kindness, uh, all three of us uh, love Jesus and, believe it or not, love each other too. So I'm uh, grateful for her and her example and her influence on my life. This isn't a day that brings about happiness for everyone. Uh, I know there are some among us who are spending their very first Mother's Day without mom. I want you to know that I love you and have prayed for you, specifically where possible. Your mom may be alive and well, but you may have been neglected by your mom. You may have been abused by your mom. You maybe never even met your mom. Perhaps you want nothing more than to be a mom. Perhaps you are a mom to a child or children who have thus far spent more time in the arms of Jesus than they have yours. And so as we celebrate children and mothers today, we also acknowledge those for whom this day is less than ideal, those for whom this day is less than happy, less than celebratory. I want you to know that you are loved and tremendously valued and cared for. And thankfully, the same God to whom we look to with gratitude and praise And celebration for children and motherhood is the same God to whom we can look to for comfort and peace and guidance and hope and help. There are times when I, as a dad, am celebrating uh, a birthday of one of my children on the first floor of our house, but I have an ornery one who needs help or correction or guidance back in his or her room on the second floor of the house. And I'm I'm celebrating and I go up and I try to help. And then I celebrate and I go up and try to... God never struggles in that way with his kids. 
God can be the helper that you need right now. God can inhabit your praises right now while giving hope to the hopeless right now and comfort to those who are grieving right now. So this isn't a day, you're not bringing God down by looking God, to God today and saying, I need help, I need hope. Nor are you distracting him from the person who needs peace if you look to him and say, I just want to celebrate being a mom or celebrate my wife. We serve a God who can be all of these things simultaneously to all people. And so before we open the word together, what I would like to do is pray that God would do what only he can do. That he would simultaneously be the God that you need right now. That if you are in need of comfort, he would be the God of comfort. That if you are in a joyful season of prosperity and blessing, that you would just thank him right now and that he would smile upon you and say, you're welcome and, 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 and receive the glory that is due his name. So what I'd like to ask us to do is, uh, would you stand at this time and do me a favor, we're a family, so stand at this time and do me a favor and join hands with the people in your row and even cross the aisle. Um, Kind of as if we're joining hands uh, after a meal, or before a meal, rather. Across the aisle. And let's pray, and then following the prayer, remain standing, and we'll read God's word together. Father in heaven, we come before you, uh, thankful for this day. This is the day that you have made. It's our hope and prayer that you would help us to all rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I pray for the moms that are among us. I thank you for the gifts of children that you've blessed them with. I thank you for the hearts and minds that you've blessed these ladies with to care for their children, to care for their homes, to make them places where you are valued and esteemed and where the gospel is lived out. I pray that you would continue to bless them with strength, uh, with courage, with, with, with boldness, with clarity, with discernment. Um, Lord, that uh, the words of their mouth and the meditation of their heart would be right in your sight, O God. I also pray for our sisters and our friends who are uh, perhaps struggling this day. I pray for people who never come to church on Mother's Day because it's hard for them. I pray for those who are in need of your comfort and guidance and pray, Lord, that you would pour down from heaven your love, your grace, your peace, your guidance, and your strength in the ways that they need it now, O oh God. I pray that you would cause them to look to you and that they would rejoice in you as the God of their salvation and the God of all hope and the God of all strength. Be with them, Lord, we pray. Be with those who are in the process of adoption and wondering if it's ever going to come to pass. Be with those who are mourning the loss of their mom or the loss of a child. Give them strength. Give them courage and help them to rejoice in you and in your holy word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you would remain standing, let's, uh, you can follow along as I read Proverbs 31. And this is what the word of God says. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. 
Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the staff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Proverbs 31, uh, as we just read, is an oracle of King Lemuel. And I've just told you everything I know about King Lemuel. His name. That's it. He only appears in this chapter. He only appears, uh, he appears, uh, the only time he ever appears is in Proverbs 31. That's all we know. Uh, What we have here are his words, and we're told they're really his mother's words. Do you see that in verse 1? It says the words of King Lemuel, but it's an oracle that his mother taught him. So this is something that his mother taught him that he has now spoken that is being written in Proverbs 31. And I love that it says that, like it wasn't lost to me that it says that. These are the words of his mother in verse 1. Verse 2, three times. What are you doing? Like, it's such a typical mom statement, right? What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, my son of of my womb, my son of my vows? And so we read this, and we read a little something about what King Lemuel's mother thought of him or felt for him. So she's crying out to her son, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Son of my womb, son of my vows. What What a poignant thing to say today as as we celebrate our family child dedication and parents have stood before the congregation, before the Lord, and taken vows. This is something that perhaps his mother is saying, this is not what we promised before the Lord. 
This is not, this is not line up with exactly what we were praying for, what we were hoping for. What are you doing, my son? And then she proceeds in, the, in, the, in verses uh, 1 through 9, she gives three exhortations to her son who was a king. And I want to briefly look at those. Uh, first, she says to, quite frankly, avoid other women. Verse 3, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Think about it. How many people have fallen, have risen to a place of power and fallen because they've led a sexually promiscuous lifestyle and their limitation, their influence, their leadership, their ruling, their reigning has been cut short drastically because they followed the lust of their flesh. She's saying, do not give your strength to women. Look at verse four. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Okay, point, exhortation number one, avoid other women. Exhortation number two, uh, it is not for kings to engage in a drunken lifestyle, to engage in a way that would affect their leadership and their ruling and their reigning. In fact, she says in verse six, give that drink to the one who is perishing. Let people drown their own sorrows in alcohol, but you are called to something different. And we don't want you to be distracted. We don't want your ruling to be distracted. Specifically, it says so that you would not, um, that you would not pervert the rights of the afflicted. You see that in verse 5? It's not that she's concerned about her own name. It's not that she's concerned chiefly about his length, his tenure in service. But it says in verse 5, I don't want you to do this, son, because we don't want you to pervert the rights of the afflicted, to forget what has been Decreed. She's thinking about those who are in need of his help, those who are in need of his leadership, his guidance, his, 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 his being a king who are in need of his help. Avoid other women. Leave strong drink for those who need to drown their sorrows so he doesn't neglect his royal obligation. And then the moral responsibilities that come with who he is and the role he takes. Verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Speak for those who cannot speak, son. Speak for the people who are stricken by poverty, the destitute. Judge righteously by defending the rights of the poor and the needy and those who cannot defend themselves. And again, if you think, even in our own day and age, how many people enter some form of public service and fall to one of the things that she's just warned her son about? Sexual exploits or a lifestyle that affects their mind or reputation and hinders them from leading well. Or an unfortunate oversight of those who are in the greatest need of help, especially the voiceless and the helpless. I don't know King Lemuel's mom, but she seems like a wise woman. She seems like a good mom. Then in verse 10, she describes what he should be looking for in a woman for himself. It's a woman's description of a woman's role. Now, in the Hebrew, it comprises an acrostic of 22 verses, each beginning with letters from the Hebrew alphabet. And it's a poetic form that indicates two things. One, that this is a complete exhaustion of a topic in the writer's mind. So it's like, let me tell you everything you need to know about baseball. Finish the sentence. Let me tell you everything you need to know about baseball from A to A to Z, right? So if you say from A to Z, I'm, I'm expressing my desire to tell you everything I think you need to know on a topic. So this is like, in her, what she's saying is, son, let me tell you from A to Z everything I think you need to know about what a godly woman is, from A to Z. 
Now, the other reason that it's put in this acrostic form from A to Z is so that it would be easy to memorize. So let's all flash back to high school and get into algebra class, which I know is super exciting for you, okay? Who remembers the word PEMDAS? PEMDAS. Raise your hand if you remember. No, like seriously, raise your real hand if you remember the word PEMDAS, right? Okay? See if you can say it with me. What does it stand for? Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, division, addition, and subtraction. Very good. Okay? Some of you were just moving your lips, but many of you remembered it. PEMDAS. This is a word that doesn't exist, except as it's an acrostic to help us remember what? Order of operation, right? In a, in a, in a math problem, in an algebraic equation where multiple operations are in, are in existence, what order do we do them first? Well, we do the parentheses first, then the exponents, then the multiplication, the division, the, the addition, and subtraction. Okay? Algebra not your thing? Let's try trig. How many of you remember Sokotoa? Look, you're like, oh. Some people just raised their hand and went, oh. Sokotoa. That's harder. Can you say that with me? Sine is opposite over hypotenuse. Cosine is adjacent over hypotenuse. And tangent is opposite over adjacent. Bless your heart. <laughs> it's not a real word. Okay, Sokotoa, this is not like, yeah, this, this is not, a, but why is it there? It's to help me remember, oh, what, when I'm looking for the sign of something, how do I know what that is? Oh, it's opposite over hypotenuse. When I'm looking for the tangent, oh, okay, it's opposite over adjacent. It's an acrostic to help us remember things that we would otherwise forget. And I don't know about you, but I've had to apply that like not at all since high school. But anyway, <laughs> I still remember it. Many of you still remember it. This, this acrostic in Proverbs 31 verses 10 and following are, is designed so that it might be remembered, uh, written in a way that would be easy to remember. More on that later. So what I'm going to do right now, if you would follow along in your Bibles, is I'm going to like so fast, like crazy fast, run through Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, offer extra commentary where I think it's helpful, but many times it's pretty self-explanatory. Let's look at this woman's description of a woman's multiple roles. Uh, Verse 10, she's telling her son that uh, an excellent wife is far more precious than the most precious thing that he can think of. Even jewels, Lemuel, she is far more precious than that. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. He has no lack of gain because of her. So he doesn't wonder what she's doing when he's not looking. Uh, He's not suffering loss as a result of her. She's a godly, godly woman. Verse 12, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Uh, verse 13, she seeks wool and flax so, and works with willing hands. So she seeks wool, which is useful for making thread, for making yarn, for making clothes. Uh, flax, which is also useful for her home and works with willing hands. Verse 14, she's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. So she's willing to go the extra mile to make sure that she's getting the food that is right for her home, for her family. She goes that extra mile and brings it back in. She doesn't just go for the proverbial quick fix. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night. She's an early riser and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So she's not only thinking about herself, but she provides food for those of her home. She's not only thinking about her family, 
But she also, according to the latter part of verse 15, provides portion for her maidens, her servants, right? So she is wise enough to gather enough food for her, for her family, and for her maidens. And she's generous in that way. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Okay, she's, uh, she, she, she's wise when she thinks, you know what? This field, this size, this length, this width, this is something that I should, this is a good price. She buys it. She can do something with it. And then it says with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. So she doesn't just buy a field. She has vision. She's a woman of vision of, you know what I could do with this? You know what I could do with that? She buys a field and then does something with it and then flips it so that it's not just a field anymore. Now it's a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She's concerned about her own well-being and her own health. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. She's like, you know what? Not only did I make this field a vineyard, but I think I could sell this stuff. Uh, Not only can I make these clothes, but I think I could sell this stuff. I think I could flip that house. I think I could turn a profit. I think I could do something with this. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's not afraid to burn the midnight oil. Verse 19, she puts her hands to the distaff and her, hand, her hands hold the spindle, so she sews. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She cares about her family. She cares about those in her home, but she also cares about those who are in need. She is wise enough to work enough not only for her own needs, but also for the needs of those who are needy and without hope and without help. Verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household, so she thinks ahead and is, uh, for all her household, is clothed in scarlet, which is a, uh, an expensive fabric, but also one that is very helpful in, in, in keeping a home warm, keeping one warm. Verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Sure. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Again, two very expensive, costly cloths. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. People know him. They know he's blessed with a godly wife. They know that he is not one who is wanting what other women want because God has given him an excellent, excellent wife. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She's not worried about the future. She laughs at the time to come. She looks to the future. She's prepared prepared as well as she can on her own and trusts the Lord with the rest and has joy as she looks ahead. She opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness is on her tongue, so she's a teacher as well. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not just an idle person who just sits around doing nothing, but she makes the most of the time. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, he praises her. And here's an example of something he should say. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. And then Lemuel's mom reminds him, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Look back at verse 10. Maybe you hear what I've just said. And verse 10 really resonates with you. You're like, yeah, who can find this chick, right? Who is this woman? Like an excellent wife, who can find her? 
I mean, if you think about what we just walked through as we made our way through the passage, this is like the Mary Poppins of the Bible, practically perfect in every way. And if you weren't keeping score, let me do a quick recap. According to the text, she wakes up early, buys property, wears a lot of purple, raises her kids, cares for the poor, keeps her home warm at night, doesn't eat carbs, and has great biceps. We're not looking at someone who's just like a lightweight in this area. Verse 12 says that she does her husband good and not harm all her days. Like all her days. She does him good and not harm. Every day. How many of you would say you're, you know, you would say, I'm a morning person. Raise your hand. I'm a morning person. Okay. How many of you say, actually, I'm a, I'm a night owl. Okay. This chick's both. Verse 12 Verse 15 says she rises while it is yet night. Verse 18 says that her lamp does not go out at night. Really. She's both. Does she seem too good to be true? Like you look at her and you're like, I kind of admire her, but who can find this woman? Friends, I think she seems too good to be true because she is too good to be true. Because I don't think the Proverbs 31 woman is a real person. See, somewhere along the lines, Proverbs 31 has been turned into a standard against which which, uh, women assess themselves or a checklist against which a man assesses a woman. It's been misinterpreted as a mold into which every woman apparently needs to fit. But the problem is this. What do you do if you can't cook? What if you just can't sew? It's just not your thing. What does Proverbs 31 leave you if you hire someone to care for your kids? What if you're not married? What if you never get married? Does that mean you're not living up to God's standard of womanhood? And the answer is no. It simply reinforces the fact that everyone is different. Every woman is different. And those differences are 100% God-designed and God-ordained. And so the alleged Proverbs 31 woman, Little Miss Perfect, doesn't exist. If this portion of Scripture leaves you... Ladies, ladies, listen to me. You have to understand this. God's Word doesn't encourage you to feel guilty for not having gifts you've not been given or for not doing good you're simply unable to do or for not being in a season of life that doesn't afford you to do something that God's Word calls you to do. Listen to me. If this portion of Scripture makes you ladies feel guilty or small or otherwise inadequate, you're likely not understanding it the way God designed. It's why I kind of cringe when I hear a guy say that he's looking for a Proverbs 31 woman, or a woman say he's striving to be, she, she's striving to be like the Proverbs 31 woman. In totality, I think it's an impossible standard to meet. Because I think this woman's kind of perfect. Find me the flaw in Proverbs 31, 10 and following. We're about to start a series actually as a church in the book of Proverbs. And here's something you need to realize. Proverbs is a book of axioms. 
axioms, uh, general statements of wisdom and truth that are accepted, that honor the Lord and blesses his people. Um, Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. This doesn't mean that every diligent planner is prosperous. Nor that it means that everyone who is poor lacked a good plan. It just means that generally speaking, careful planning is better than working in haste. Does, does, does that make sense? But it's not formulaic in that, okay, well, according to Proverbs 21 verse 5, if I see a poor person, they must be bad at planning. That's not true. If I see a prosperous person, they must be awesome at planning. They might know someone who's awesome at planning. They themselves might be a terrible planner. But the bottom line is, just in general, God would have us realize that, uh, generally speaking, planning is better than just working in haste. Planning is better than ready, fire, aim. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. This doesn't mean that if you're a godly parent, you're going to have a godly kid. Nor does it mean uh, that everyone who has ungodly children, they themselves had ungodly parents. It just means that generally speaking, for me as a dad, for Sarah as a mom, uh, we parent with the long view in mind as we raise our kids, that we're training up our children in ways that we hope they would never depart from. I'm not just training up my child for today, I'm training them up for a lifetime. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Generally speaking, this is the truth. But we are very, very, in very, very dangerous ground when we start taking general truths and making them formulaic. Well, ungodly children, I guess they didn't raise their kids the way they were supposed to. Oh, someone's not doing well in life. They must have not planned. Because planning prevents problems, so... That's not what Proverbs is meant to do. You need to understand the difference between descriptive language and prescriptive language in the Bible. Many, many errors, even heresies happen when we cross these two together. The difference between descriptive language and prescriptive language. Let me give you an example, albeit an awkward one. Isaiah 20 and verse 2 reads this. At that time, the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go. And loose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking around naked and barefoot. Verse 3 says, says, then the Lord said, as my servant has walked around naked and barefoot for three years, three years, naked and barefoot, as a sign and a portent against Egypt and Cush, show how the kings of Assyria lead away the Egyptian captives from the Cush Isle exiles. Now, this is descriptive of what happened and what the Lord had Isaiah do. This is not prescriptive as to what all preachers must do if they really want to make a point. Praise the good Lord. (laughs) Right? So this is descriptive of how God worked at that time, not prescriptive. It would be like so weird if I got those two things confused, right? Yeah, it's because it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Thank you, brother. In Acts chapter 2, When we look at the day of Pentecost and we see the Holy Spirit fill the believers 
And then God performs a wonderful, wonderful miracle by which he is glorified, his people are edified, and many people, even thousands, are added to the church. Where people hear the word of God, people from many different tribes, many different tongues and nations hear the word of God in their own tongue. People are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they're speaking in a way that people understand them in their own tongue. This is descriptive of what happened, but it's not a prescription for what should or must take place for all believers. Now, are there some people who look at other people and say, if you don't speak in tongues, you don't contain the Holy Spirit? Yes, they are. Are they right? They're absolutely wrong. That's a heresy. To deny someone the work of the Holy Spirit in their life by saying, you don't speak in tongues like people did in Acts chapter 2. And it's rooted in a confusion between that which is descriptive and that which is prescriptive. Does that make sense? Acts 2 describes what happened. Did that really happen in Acts 2? Absolutely. Beyond the shadow of a doubt. Does that need to happen every time the Holy Spirit fills a believer? Absolutely not. Because that's a descriptive text. Friends, Proverbs 31, verses 10 and following, is a woman's description, a mother's description of a woman's various roles. It was not intended to be a prescriptive checklist for women to measure themselves against. This is not a prescriptive passage to be applied in all areas, all the time, and wherever you as a woman are lacking in this list, you are that falling short of the glory of God or that falling short of pleasing him. It's a descriptive passage listing a host of things for which a woman would be thought of as excellent or worthy or noble. Now, ladies, why am I emphasizing this point? Well, it's because of this. I don't want you coming to the Lord, to Christ the Word, spending time with him and leaving that time with him feeling small or less than or inadequate or guilt-ridden. Or ashamed. Because when I read Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, I read that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if the end result of your time with the Lord and the end result of your time in the scriptures, particularly this scripture in particular, just leaves you feeling less than, leaves you thinking it's a checklist and there's 20 some odd things to check off and you can only find three and even those three are kind of a stretch and therefore you leave feeling inadequate, I would challenge you to perhaps take a different look at the word of God because I don't think that's God's goal in having you spend your time with him. I think it's hard enough as you peruse social media as you do And as people post all the glorious things about their life on Instagram, as people blog about how things are awesome and how someone is allegedly, you know, running a small business and raising 18 kids and starting a farm and reaching out to people enslaved in human trafficking and also raising a barn and doing all of these things. Whenever Sarah and I look, I said, something's missing there. People choose what they post, right? People choose what they post. It can't all be coming together. Something's got to be. And then you dig deeper and you realize, oh, okay, there's a, and not some hidden sins. Like, oh, okay, 
This person is very prosperous, and they hire people to teach their kids at home, but they're not themselves teaching. Oh, okay, that's different. Oh, okay, this person started this business, but they're not really involved in it. They're just reaping the benefits of it. But usually as you dig deeper, you realize things, if something looks too good to be true, it probably is. It's bad enough that when you look at these things on social media, you leave thinking, oh my gosh, can I ever even measure up? I don't want that to be the case when you look to the Word of God. I want you to look to the word of God and see yourself as who you are in Christ. That every spiritual blessing in the heavens is available to every believer, young or old, male or female, single, married, divorced, widowed, childless, or with children in abundance. It's an important thing to remember as we approach the word of God. The Proverbs 31 woman doesn't exist. She's not one single woman. It's a descriptive passage of things that we would look for, that that this young man would look for in a woman. But this is not a checklist or a mold for you to force yourself into and say, until you get in there, you're not honoring the Lord with your life as a woman. Oftentimes, this passage is said that it's a great passage for young women. It can be, but I put the second point in your outline for a reason. I don't think Proverbs 31 verses 10 and following is describing a young woman at all. I think it's describing an older, more prosperous woman or looking back upon a lifetime of a woman. Consider some of the things I put there. Verse 15, this woman has servants. Verse 16, she's old enough and prosperous enough to buy land. Verses 21 and 22, her household contains scarlet, fine linen, and purple. Unless she got this at her wedding shower, it's probably not something that she could procure on her own as a young lady. Verse 23, her husband is among the elders, which is not typical for someone who is brand new at marriage. Verse 28, her children are old enough to appreciate her and call her blessed. I think there's ample reason in the text itself to understand Proverbs 31 verses 10 and following as a summary of a fruitful life lived over many, many years, highlighting specific things done at various times and seasons, but not simultaneously at all times. I think this portion of Scripture is best understood with a lifetime of fruitfulness in mind, not doing all the things all the time. So this is something to aspire towards. These are certain things that we acknowledge and admire. And at certain seasons, you might be in that land-buying season. In another season, you might be in a child-rearing season. In another season, you might be in a, in, in a season where you are caring for lots of people. Sometimes you're able to do both these things at the same time. But to think that you've got to do all the things all the time, I don't think is what the Scripture is calling you to as a woman of God. Proverbs 31, verses 10 and following, also is applicable for all women, even those without husbands and children. If you look at verse 10, an excellent wife, who can find? Uh, D.A. Carson says the best rendering of the original Hebrew there is actually the truly capable woman. That's not saying that it's translated erroneously as an excellent wife, but just because that's what fits the passage and the context best. So it's a woman of excellence or an honorable woman or a woman of valor and then proceeds to describe lots of areas that have to do with homemaking that relate to marriage and children. And therefore, this is a description of an excellent wife. But I want to call your attention to something else, if you would. So keep your finger in Proverbs 31 and turn to the book of Ruth. Look at Ruth chapter 3. If you look at Ruth chapter 3, uh, 
This is a conversation taking place between Ruth and Boaz. We'll pick it up in verse 9. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Now look at verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow kinsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now, why do I call your attention to this passage? Well, because in the Hebrew, the term translated there, a worthy woman in Ruth 3.11, is the same term translated in Proverbs 31 as an excellent wife. That's the same Hebrew term. You say, okay. Will that help me at trivia night? What's the point? Well, here's the point. Boaz says this of Ruth when she's unmarried. She has no kids. She's not a homemaker. She's not influential. She's not rich. She's not prosperous. That's when Boaz says this of Ruth. Do you see my, my point? There's the same text that we're reading about in Proverbs 31 that says an excellent wife. That same Hebrew term is used by Boaz to speak of Ruth at a time when she was a destitute foreigner. She wasn't making clothes for her husband. She was a widow. She had no husband at the time. Her children weren't rising up and calling her blessed because she was childless at the time. She wasn't spending her days exchanging fine linens or keeping an immaculate home. Instead, she was actually working in the blazing hot sun, gleaning leftovers from other people's fields, which, historically speaking, was a provision made for the poorest in Israel. And so it's before she gets married, before she bears a child, before she becomes wealthy, before she gains influence, that Boaz calls Ruth a woman of honor or a woman of valor or an excellent woman or a worthy woman. And Ruth isn't noble because she landed a husband or kept a clean house or produced children. She lived her life with courage, with wisdom, with strength, and with honor. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm well aware of the fact that it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Yay. I think children are a blessing. I think marriage is one of God's greatest gifts and pictures of the gospel. I love my kids. I'm grateful to be married and to have children. Here's my concern. I'm going to say this carefully and unapologetically. I'm concerned that we, listen, reduce biblical womanhood to marriage and parenting. Does that make sense? That we reduce what it means to be a woman of God to marriage and parenting. And we focus on those two trees and miss the rest of the forest. Being a biblical mom is a God-honoring thing. Uh, Seeking to raise your children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord is a godly calling. Uh, Seeking to be a godly wife is something that you should do if you are married and have a husband. However, we reduce 
what it means to be a woman of God if the only ways we ever speak about honoring the Lord as a woman is in marriage terms and in parenting terms. When there's a whole host of other things to look at in God's good word for what it means to be a godly, honorable, noble, strong, wise, courageous woman. Children are a blessing. Marriage is a blessing. But ladies, it's not the roles you fill as a woman that define you. It's the Christ-centered character that you bring to those roles that make you an excellent woman of God regardless of the role. Does that make sense? Approaching the role that God has you in and not looking over the fence where the grass you think is greener, not saying, well, that's the godly role. That's the godly role. I wish I could have that husband or kids. Or I wish I didn't have this husband and kids because I could see how that person's super active in an area of life that I'm not able to be in. Bringing godly character to your role, not looking at the other roles to find those roles as godly, is what makes you a great and honorable woman of God. Point number four, this isn't a checklist. It's about character. So when you look back in Proverbs 31 at the text we're looking at today, you see, for example, in verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. And if you look at that and stop at the word husband, you say, I don't have one of those, so this doesn't apply to me. It most certainly applies to you because this woman is a trustworthy woman. You can be a trustworthy woman. Whether or not her husband trusts in her is a different thing. That's, she's not going to get that if she doesn't have a husband. But you could be a trustworthy woman, whether you're single, married, divorced, or widowed. It doesn't really matter. You could be a trustworthy woman. She's trustworthy. Look at verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. You say, oh, yeah, you mean she's busy with how she cares for her kids and how she gives them a good home. Well, yeah, maybe. It just says she, works, she looks well to the ways of her household. That can be applied to any woman. This is what I mean by missing the forest for the sake of the trees and just dismissing Proverbs 31, 10 and following if you're not in a season of marriage. Or maybe you are in a time when you're married and you do have kids and this is just such a long checklist that you can't even touch with a 12-foot pole that you're like, oh, punch me in the face. I can't even measure up to that. I'm not going to look at that at all. She's trustworthy. She's hardworking. Uh, There's several passages in Proverbs 31 that shows that she's a woman of great strength. There's several passages that say that she's kind and caring. These are things that can be applied in marriage and family as a wife and a mom, but really just as a woman of God. You can be trustworthy and kind and caring and hardworking and strong. And so when we think about excellent women, women of excellence, women of honor, We think of Deborah and Sarah and Esther and Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany and Mary of Nazareth and Martha and Priscilla and Phoebe and countless women in your life who love the Lord, single, married, with kids, with adult children, with small children, with no children, and everywhere in between. It's Mother's Day. I know that. And mothers are phenomenal women. But when we're talking of a woman who is to be honored and praised, let's make sure we realize what is really worth praising. 
And that's in point number five. Not her performance, but her fear of the Lord that is worth praising. In verse 30. King Lemuel's mother lists many things in Proverbs 31, verses 10 and following. But of all the things she mentions, she singles out one thing that is to be praised. One thing. And she says it's not her charm. Charm can be deceitful. It's not her beauty. That's passing because time and gravity get the best of all of us. It's not her charm. It's not her beauty. But it's her love for the Lord. Her fear of the Lord. Her desire to honor the Lord is what is worth praising. She singles out one thing that he says, listen, honor this woman because of this. Praise her for that. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And finally, if you'll notice in all of Proverbs 31, for as much as women look at this text and see it as commands for them to obey or a checklist for them to obey, all the imperatives are given to dudes. It's a mom talking to her son. All the imperatives in Proverbs 31, particularly the one in this section, is written to a man. The only command in this section is for him to obey. Verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. So, remember Pemdas? Remember Sokotoa? This particular scripture was formatted as an acrostic. 22 verses, each beginning with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It was intended to be memorized up here by men. It's a mom talking to her son. It's intended to be memorized by dudes. They memorized it so they'd be able to to sing it as a song of praise and encouragement to the women in their lives, their wives, their daughters, their sisters, their friends, their mothers. I read of a Jewish husband who sings this to his wife at every Sabbath meal as a way of encouraging her, as a way of showing her how she is what Proverbs 31 is, is calling her to be. But the command... The burden of responsibility was on him. Somewhere along the lines, we've lost that. And dudes are looking at it as a checklist to see if someone is worth their time. And girls are trying to fit into this mold that they may or may not be able to fit and probably can't fit because this looks like a perfect woman. I'm convinced the burden of application of the passage according to the text is really on men. Every imperative in the chapter is to us. And so today's Mother's Day. So maybe we can start that today. Maybe we can look to the character traits in this chapter and encourage the women in our lives where applicable. Motherhood is usually a thankless job. Here's what I mean. It sounds like I'm, I'm down on it, but we'll take Brian Clark, for example, because when you me, stop that. Yeah, nice. I saw you move and I'm like, oh, he's hiding. No, he's, here's me, here's Brian. He's a step ahead. Can you hear me? 
Okay, do you know why you can hear me? Because Brian's doing his job. Do you think of Brian that, now that you can hear me? No, I mean, you do now because I'm calling attention to him. But have you been thinking, man, Brian's killing it today. He's rocking it. I hear the sermon. It sounds really good. No. Do you know when you'll think of Brian? When you hear, or like the sound of a screaming banshee or something happens and there's feedback, then everyone turns around and looks at Brian and points or makes a face just like he doesn't hear it, right? So like, but that's when we think of Brian. We think of Brian when things are off, not when things are on. When things are on, he's doing his job and we just call that normal. So in a sense, Brian's job is a thankless one because his job helps to keep things normal, and we don't think to thank him often enough. So we can real fast just say thank you, Brian. Right. It's the same thing with motherhood. Much of what, if not all of what Sarah does every single day is normative. We have dinner every night. Why? Because we do. Do we think, wow, you've given us, you've fed us today. That's awesome. I can't believe you fed us today. No. If she skipped that, she would, right? She'd get all that from five people in our home. Her job keeps us functioning normatively. She tucks kids into bed. This is the norm. She makes sure that they have clothes to wear. This is the norm. She puts bandages on their boo-boos. This is the norm. But it's not like, wow, thank you so much for feeding me today. Wow, thank you so much. My bed, I'm back in my bed. I'm tucked in. You did the this thing. Actually, I do that, this thing. But it's normative. That's what I mean by it's thankless. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean it's a bad job, but it's just typically a thankless one because it's just the norm. Motherhood is usually a thankless job. That probably won't change on its own given the nature of motherhood, but it can change on our end given the nature of repentance from us, growth in Christ-likeness from us as we, as men, meditate on this passage and we, wow, we see, wow, I see this in this woman in my life. I see this in my mom, in my wife, in my daughter, in my neighbor. And we can change a thankless job into one which garners a lot of thanks. Proverbs 31, verse 31, give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her works praise her in the gates. So it's my hope and prayer that these illustrations of not deeds in and of themselves, but the character of a woman would cause us to encourage and love and honor our mothers today, our wives today, our sisters our daughters, that that would be something that we would do today and every day to the glory of God. Because charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Happy Mother's Day. Father in heaven, we come before you thankful for your word, desiring to please you with our lives, grateful for the opportunities that we have to understand your word, to apply your word. And Lord, I pray specifically for the ladies in our midst. I pray that they would be encouraged, not ashamed. I pray that they would be honored because they have a seat at the table because you have adopted them. I pray, Lord, that they would think much of Christ and that we, in seeing them do that, would think much of them. 
and that we would seek to encourage them to love and good deeds as we exist within this, the family of God. We pray these things in the worthy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, and very best friend. Amen.